Welcome to Mentors at Your Benchside, the podcast giving you advice, tips and tools for getting the most out of your research. I'm Jason Rogers and today I'll be talking to you about the practical applications and considerations for phenochloroform extraction. Well, there are many more methods to choose from for cleaning up your RNA or DNA than there used to be, sometimes phenochloroform extraction is still the best way to go. Before moving on to the practical applications of phenochloroform extraction, let's recap the basics of how it works. In brief, proteins consist of both hydrophobic and hydrophilic residues and through protein folding achieve a compromise with water and remain soluble. However, when they are given the opportunity to transition to an environment that can accommodate both polar and non-polar residues, i.e. phenol or phenolchloroform, with no compromise required, i.e. folding, they happily move over to that phase. The more highly polar molecules, like carbohydrates and nucleic acids, are happier in the aqueous phase and remain there. There are a few exceptions though which are noted below. Phenol versus phenolchloroform versus chloroform. One of the most frequent questions we are asked when training someone is what the differences are between different organic phases used in phenolchloroform extraction. Here is the breakdown as best as we understand them. What we are actually talking about here is buffer saturated phenol, which consists of a solution that is actually about 72% phenol and 28% water. Since phenol is a weak acid, the solutions that we use have been equilibrated with buffer to bring the pH to a particular target, either acidic for RNA purification or slightly alkaline for DNA purification. In addition to a certain amount of water dissolving into the phenol, there is a certain amount of phenol that dissolves into the water, at equilibration. The aqueous phase will contain about 7% phenol. This is thought to aid in the extraction, as this dissolved phenol helps denature proteins while they are still in the aqueous solution. Buffer saturated phenol has a density that is only slightly higher than that of water. Phenol chloroform This is a mixture of buffer saturated phenol and chloroform, usually close to 1 to 1 for DNA purification, with other ratios sometimes used for RNA purification. Isoamyl alcohol is sometimes included as an anti foaming agent but is generally thought to be an inert and optional addition. This solution is commonly used in lieu of buffer-saturated phenol for a couple of reasons. As mentioned above, the density of buffer-saturated phenol is only a little higher than water. So if your aqueous phase contains enough salt or any other solutes that would increase its density, then you could end up with phase inversion during extraction, where your aqueous phase is under the phenol rather than on top of it. Chloroform is significantly denser than water, so adding it to the organic phase increases the overall density of that phase helping to prevent phase inversion. In addition, the chloroform, and some say isoamyl alcohol, helps reduce the interphase, the fuzzy border between the two phases populated by molecules that can't decide where they want to go. These can be partially denatured proteins, DNA depending on the pH, and or partially denatured DNA binding proteins that are still clinging to DNA, and it's a real pain in the butt. If you pipette off some of this material when removing the aqueous phase, then you decrease the purity of your sample. If you're too timid while pipetting, then you hurt your yield. If you have our luck, then whatever it was you wanted to keep most is sitting in it. Adding chloroform to the mix helps reduce this. Chloroform. This is normally used after phenol or phenolchloroform extractions. While pure chloroform doesn't work as well as the organic solutions mentioned above for protein extraction, it works well for extracting phenol from aqueous solutions. Remember when we said that the aqueous phase contained around 7% phenol after equilibration? Do you also remember when we said phenol likes to denature proteins? 
If you don't get rid of the phenol in your now protein-free nucleic acid solution, or at least severely reduce it, it could come back to haunt you by partially or completely inhibiting enzymes that you treat the DNA or RNA with down the line. Presented with a nice chloroform home, however, the phenol will partition away from your nucleic acids. Chloroform itself is about 10 times less soluble in water than phenol, around 0.8%, and is less denaturing to proteins. Ether. This can also be used to extract phenol back out of the aqueous phase. However, because of the explosive potential of ether, and the tendency of biology types to have Bunsen burners and strikers and the likes in their labs, it's been largely replaced with chloroform. A note of caution though, don't use your phenol or phenochloroform if the solution is turning pink. Oxidation of the phenol produces pink-brown oxidation products, and these can cause nicking of your DNA and degradation of your RNA. Most commercial phenol solutions contain an antioxidant to inhibit this oxidation, and phenol buffered at an acidic pH seems to be resistant to oxidation. But it isn't a bad idea to move a portion of the buffer-saturated phenol from the brown bottle that it likely came in to a clear bottle or tube to inspect it before you start your extraction. Beware, pH matters a lot. Occasionally, somebody does a phenol-chloroform extraction and doesn't recover any of the DNA in the sample. If this happens to you, or somebody in your lab, your first question should be, which phenol did you use? Labs that do both DNA and RNA work will likely have both acidic and basic buffered phenol solutions, or somebody will buy a new bottle of phenol without paying attention to the pH. Extraction of DNA containing samples with acidic phenol results in the denaturation of the DNA, and once denatured, the DNA partitions to the organic phase. This is a key feature of many RNA purification protocols, which is one of the reasons acidic buffer saturated phenol is used. Determining the pH of phenol Now, sometimes a lab's DNA phenol extractions start failing, no recovery of the DNA afterwards, and the pH of the phenol is called into question. If you find yourself in this spot, you can't simply dip your pH meter into it, and you cannot use pH paper, since the pH indicator in the paper was characterised in aqueous solutions. The method that we've used is to dilute 1 ml of the buffer saturated phenol with 9 ml of 45% methanol, mix and then measure the pH with a standard pH meter. Adjusting the pH of phenol The safest way of adjusting the pH is by replacing the aqueous phase on top of the phenol solution with a fresh aliquot of around 100 millimolar buffered water, usually TRIS pH 7.9 for DNA work. Mix the phases well and then let the bottle settle until the phases are well separated again. Then pH it again. Mixing your phases. Phenol chloroform extractions are amazingly efficient. Less than 1% of the average protein remains in the aqueous phase after the first extraction has come up to equilibrium. The trick, of course, is getting the extraction to equilibrium. The more surface area there is between the two phases, the faster this happens, and that surface area is greater the finer emulsion that you've created. This can be achieved by vortexing the phases for a couple of minutes, as many protocols call for. But not all samples can be vortexed. If you're purifying very large DNA, like genomic DNA, then you may have to mix your sample much more gently and therefore perform each extraction for much longer. So on this point, follow your protocol and be very cautious about trying to shave time off this step. Effects of denaturation and digestion some protocols call for protein denaturation and possibly digestion with protonase K before phenol chloroform extraction. 
Some of these steps are attempts to reduce the amount of material that is trapped in the interface and therefore improve the yield of DNA or RNA recovered. We've never seen any negative effect of denaturing the proteins with SDS before extraction. On the other hand, digestion of the protein could reduce the purity of the nucleic acid that you recover. While whole proteins are almost guaranteed to partition in the organic phase, once the protein is digested into small peptides, not all of those peptides will have the same chemical character of the whole protein, and each will have its own partition number. It may not matter a lot if you have some peptides in your nucleic acid, depending on your downstream application, but it's formally possible that these contaminants could affect your future quantitation of the sample. However, there is a better way of eliminating the dreaded interface with phase lock gel. This is one of those things that seems to be in 50% of labs, but yet less than 10% of the people we've talked to know what it is or how it works. In short, phase lock gel is a gooey, Vaseline-like gel that has a density that's slightly greater than water, and if you add your extraction on top of it in a centrifuge tube and centrifuge it, the phase lock gel collects between the aqueous layer and the organic phase, separating the two and preventing the formation of the DNA-RNA-hungry interface during phenolchloroform extraction. Check out the corresponding online article for a diagram showing phase lock gel in action. Note that you cannot vortex mix the two phases in a tube containing this reagent, but you can vortex mix in a separate tube and then add the sample to the tube with gel and centrifuge. They have this gel in two different flavours, one for regular samples, light, and another for high density samples, like solutions with high salt or protein concentrations, a heavy one. Using SDS to denature the proteins in a sample prior to extraction and then employing phase lock gel to separate the phases can consistently give DNA samples with 260 to 280 ratios of 1.8 and greater than 98% recovery. Using vacuum grease as an alternative to phase lock gel. Silicon lubricant, aka vacuum grease, has been successfully used to help aid the recovery of nucleic acids. The addition of this grease, which is non toxic and autoclavable, resulted in a tight interface, allowing total recovery of the aqueous phase. Check out the online article for the corresponding reference. We've even had an enthusiastic bite-sized bioreader test out the method during their phenolchloroform extractions. You can read their report on how successful vacuum grease is at a DIY phase-separating gel on the website. And finally, a note of caution. It's easy to become complacent about the chemicals we use in the lab, especially when we use them regularly. Phenol is a particularly unpleasant chemical and is both toxic and corrosive. So make sure that you use the appropriate PPE, including suitable lab gloves and safety glasses, and know what to do in case of a spill or accident. So that's it for practical considerations of phenol chloroform extraction. Check out the episode description for links to related articles and resources, and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast to get more help and advice from mentors at your benchside. on the go but still seeking valuable insights to advance your research well look no further than listen in the podcast from bite size bio that offers the benefits of webinars in a portable format with webinars featuring leading researchers and commercial specialists discussing techniques like CRISPR-Cas9 and microscopy with listening, you can tap into their expertise and drive your research project forward efficiently and productively, no matter where you are. Visit bitesizebio.com forward slash podcasts or search for Listen In in your podcast app to subscribe.